Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. That escalated quickly. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. The prophet Isaiah declares that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Once upon a time, there was a man named Ivan. And he had decided he wanted to start a pizza shop in downtown Jefferson. So he built a building on Main Street. He spent a lot of time purchasing materials and setting up the shop. And when it was about to open, though, he wound up having to take a long trip to London. So Ivan hired some employees and gave them charge of the restaurant until he returned. Well, a few months went by, and he sends his friend Mark to go to the employees and collect some of the profits from the pizza shop. For some reason, these employees were enraged. They beat Mark, and they threw him out of the restaurant. Now, Ivan was a kind man, and he was uh, very much in favor of giving second chances, so he sent uh, several more friends, one after another, to his pizza shop, to his employees to collect the profits that he was owed from his own business. But the employees not only beat some that he sent, they murdered others, which was completely ridiculous. This was Ivan's shop. They didn't own it. They didn't do anything to build it. And so finally, Ivan decided that he would send his son, Kevin, believing that the authority of his son, rather than of a friend would have more push and that would finally cause the employees to finally do the right thing. Instead, the employees reasoned that if they killed Kevin, the shop would be all theirs. And so when Kevin arrived, they threw him off a cliff. What do you think is going to happen when Ivan, the store owner, returns home? If that story sounds familiar, that's because that is a modern adaptation of the biblical parable we just read. 
Now, parables are illustrations that Jesus uses to help us understand the kingdom of God or to expose the nature of someone's heart. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem already. He's getting closer to the time of his death to save us. Right now, he's in the temple, and most recently, he has been questioned by the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law about his authority. And now he speaks this parable to them. A man plants a vineyard. Everything that needs to be done to make that vineyard, he does himself. He builds the wall, digs the pit, constructs the watchtower. It's his to construct. It's his to own. It all belongs to him. And then he rents out that vineyard and moves away. Now, he is owed a part of the yield of the vineyard because he owns the vineyard. And the renters would understand this, and all of the people hearing this parable would understand this. So at harvest time, he sends his servants to collect. But when the servant arrives, the tenants beat him. Now, understand how arrogant this is. The man has rented out the vineyard to them. They didn't build it. I mean, imagine renting out a house to somebody, and when you stop by to pick up the monthly rent, they punch you in the face. This is supposed to be shocking. This is supposed to be like, what is going on here? What are they doing? He continues to send servant upon servant. I mean, notice how how patient and benevolent this landowner is. He keeps giving them an opportunity to right their wrong. And yet the tenants beat or kill each one without a second thought. They spurn the owner's extraordinary patience. And so as a final resort, he sends his only beloved son. Is this sounding familiar yet? The son is not a servant. He has the authority of the father behind him. They should respect him and his authority. The owner yet again gives another opportunity for these renters to make things right. But they spit in the face of grace and mercy. They see the son and mistakenly believe that, well, since the son's coming, the father must be dead. So if we kill him, we can have the son's inheritance, which would be the vineyard. And so they do that. And to add insult to injury, they throw his corpse outside of the vineyard, leaving it unburied, which was a huge, huge no-no in the ancient world. And Jesus says the owner will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now remember, Jesus speaks this parable to the Jewish religious leaders, those who have rejected him as the Messiah. And in this particular type of parable, each character or each thing represents something in reality. So for instance, the landowner is God the Father who rescued and established the nation of Israel. The vineyard is Israel itself. And the renters of the vineyard are the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. They are the leaders of Israel. This parable is an indictment against them Because they, like the tenants of the vineyard, have failed to be faithful. 
They're supposed to lead the people in following God and his commands. Yet instead, throughout history, they and the nation have turned from God. They would turn to other gods and worship them, and as a result, defraud their neighbors, deny justice to the poor, even sacrifice their own children. And in the midst of this ongoing rebellion throughout the Old Testament, God sends his servants, his servants the prophets, calling them to return to him, to give him the worship and the obedience he deserves. But just like the tenants, the leaders do not treat these people well. For instance, the prophet Zechariah was stoned at the order of King Joash in 2 Chronicles. The prophet Jeremiah was put in stocks, thrown in a cistern, beaten, and imprisoned. And even now, the present-day leaders are plotting to murder the Son of God. And Jesus really hints that history is just repeating itself. Because God has used this vineyard metaphor before. Isaiah 5, 1 to 2 and verse 7 says this. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And wild grapes means like rotten grapes, grapes you don't want. And then verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now while this analogy in Isaiah is slightly different from Jesus' parable, the point is the same. By drawing from this metaphor, Jesus tells the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law that they have aligned themselves with those whom Isaiah prophesied against 700 years earlier. He is telling them, you think you're on God's side, but you're not. And so, parable continues. Finally, the father sends his only beloved son. As you might have guessed, the landowner's son is Jesus. The one of whom God said in Mark 9, 7, this is my beloved son, listen to him. But the teachers of the law, the elders and the chief priests have rejected the one sent to save. And they think that by killing Jesus, they will be doing something good, that it will benefit them. But in reality, it means that they will lose the temple, their positions, and their nation they will come under God's judgment. Jesus reminds them of Psalm 118, 22 to 23, where the stone rejected as good for nothing winds up becoming the most important stone for a building. And that exactly what, that's exactly what's happening. They reject Jesus, yet he is the foundation of the kingdom of God. And God is behind this, and he is going to vindicate Jesus following his death because Christ is going to rise from the dead. And this vineyard, or rather the kingdom of God, will be given to others. It will be given to those who realize their desperate need for Jesus and turn to him. It will be given to a Jew or Gentile, any of which choose to follow him. Tax collectors, sinners, whoever, unworthy people like you and me, 
who turn to the Lord. And God's kingdom will no longer be located in one nation, but in all nations among those who follow Christ. So the question this morning is, what do we learn from this parable? Well, one thing is that we should give God all that he deserves. Through trusting in Jesus, we belong in God's kingdom forever. We will be with him forever. Death is not the end for us. And so that means we are the tenants in the vineyard now. How are we doing as tenants? Are we grasping for power? Are we focused on our own self-importance and pride? Are we ignoring the things of God for our own things? Or, in our church and through our lives, do we do the things that Jesus calls us to do? Proclaiming the gospel so that more people may be saved by him. Loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Ensuring that church is not a social club, but a house of prayer. Not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. And are we centered not around a pastor or an event or a tradition, but only around Jesus and him alone? God has blessed us with every blessing we have, no matter how big, no matter how small. He's loved us in ways unimaginable at the cost of his own son. And in response to such goodness, let us give God everything he deserves in worship through our lives. Out of love and gratitude for what he has done. Secondly, let us listen to the voice of Jesus. The religious leaders here chose to reject the very one that God sent to save. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted a Messiah made in their own image and their own likeness. Let's not make the same mistake. Tim Keller writes, If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. The fact of the matter is God's word will challenge us. We will read things that God says that we will not like. God will call us to attitudes and behaviors that are difficult. But let us never, ever ignore the voice of God in the scriptures because it's too hard or too inconvenient. Nothing worth doing in this life is ever easy. And so let us never try to weasel our way out of obedience to the God who loved us and who has given himself up for us. And finally, let us always be willing to repent. If the teachers of the law and the elders and the chief priests had only turned to Jesus and said, you know what? We hear the parable. We get it. We are wrong. You are the Messiah. We trust in you. If they had only done that, they would have been part of God's kingdom. They would have been forgiven. But their hearts became hardened to God, and sometimes ours can be as well. If they had looked at God's extreme patience and realized that it was a call for them to repent, and they would have turned to him, he would have forgiven them. As Christians, our salvation is secure because of Christ's death and resurrection, because we trust in him. 
But that doesn't eliminate our need to repent. We're daily faced with sins that we have committed against God. Sometimes the parable points not to the failure of Israel's leaders, but to us. And rather than pretending like them that we haven't sinned or that it's no big deal, Rather than explaining it away or making excuses, let us be humble and go before God and ask for forgiveness, knowing that that's what we receive. Let us daily turn to God and away from our sin, knowing the beautiful truth that when we sin, we find forgiveness in Jesus, not by what we do, but by what he did for us. We get a brand new start every day. That's the beauty of his grace. And so friends, let us give God all that he deserves. Let us listen to the voice of Jesus. And let us always be willing to repent. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of salvation in Christ. We thank you that we will be with you forever because of his death and resurrection. Lord, help us by your grace to live lives that bring honor to you. Be the most important thing in our lives as you deserve to be. Help us to love you with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. Draw us closer to you each day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.